Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a Weird homicide. Seen described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. A victim is a victim no matter their lifestyle or their financials. Everyone deserves their justice and everyone deserves to have a police force investigate their crime. On July 15, 1963, a man was born who took his victims from the poorer areas of Chile. Victims who police assumed had run away and whose murders, if it weren't for a group of hardworking parents, may have never been solved. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Julio Perez Silva, born July 15, 1963, in Puchincavi, Chile, was always known as a quiet, withdrawn young man which could be explained by the stories of vicious beatings both he and his mother, a woman who was paralyzed and could do nothing to protect her son, suffered at the hands of his alcoholic father, a man who, when Julio was just seven years old, whipped his head against the wall for coming into his room without permission, rendering him unconscious. Called Segua throughout his childhood, Julio finished school and, at the age of 22, married a native of Lac named Monica Sisimus, and together, the pair had two daughters. He would later spend five years with a woman named Marianella Vergara, who already had two daughters, 
and later returned to Puchinkavi with his new family. Though I could not find if or why he and Marianella ended their relationship, Julio had a reputation as a good and loving husband. Though some reports did claim that, just before leaving her, rumors about a flasher and a rapist in the area started to swirl, but they were never officially reported. Around the mid-90s, Julio moved to Iquiqua in hopes of finding better job opportunities and found work loading sacks of salt. It was here that he met mother of six, Nancy Barrero, at a party and the pair began a relationship almost immediately. After two weeks of living together, Julio and Nancy, a woman 14 years older than him, moved to Alto Hospicio, where Julio started working illegally as a taxi driver. Around the time the new couple moved to Alto Hospicio, a string of crimes started to occur that were all similar enough that officials thought that they had to be committed by the same person. From 1998 to 2001, women and girls would disappear left and right, only to be raped, bludgeoned to death, and thrown deep into abandoned mines or in other secluded areas. The first took place on September 17, 1998, when 17-year-old Montserrat Graciela Servia was, according to his later confession, on the waterfront when she was approached by a fake taxi cab and offered money in exchange for sex. She agreed, but had intentions of stealing his money before ever getting to the sexual favor, he noticed, and beat her to death before leaving her body on the beach. In November of 1999, he offered a ride to 13-year-old Macarena Sanchez in exchange for a few coins. Not wanting to be late for school, the eighth grader accepted his offer. Once inside of the cab, Julio pulled out a knife, raped the young girl, and threw her into a 220-meter-deep mine. She was never seen alive again. His crimes quickly labeled him as the most brutal serial killer in Chilean modern history, but it would take years for officials to acknowledge any of the crimes. That's because no matter how brutal the crime was, not only were there so few reported, but when they were, the police were slow in reacting, if they did at all, and no one ever suspected the calm, quiet, loving husband and stepfather of being a monster allowing him to continue his reign of terror. February of 2000 brought two murders in less than a week's time. First was Sarah Gomez, and two days later, it was 23-year-old Angelica Lay. Both women were killed in the middle of the desert. Exactly a month after Angelica's murder, he took the life of 14-year-old Laura Zola. She was thrown into the shaft along with Macarena Sanchez. About a month or so after Laura's murder, 17-year-old Patricia Palma would join the girls in the mine after Julio picked her up, raped, and killed her. He was moving faster and without discretion, yet the police didn't seem to be catching on that a serial killer was in their midst. Or if they did, they weren't doing anything to try and stop him. The news started to go national, but authorities, mainly under the Secretary of Interior at the time, Jorge Burgos, claimed that all of the women and girls were likely runaways, that they fled their lives of poverty or their parents and were likely alive and well in Peru or Bolivia, considering it a social matter and not a police matter. 
Some even said the girls were probably sex workers or involved in sex slavery, diverting the attention even further from their disappearances and masking the dangerous fact that there was a killer amongst them. 11 days after Patricia's disappearance, he raped and murdered Macarena Montesinos and shortly after took the life of 15-year-old Viviana Garay. Now, Viviana's father, a man named Orlando Garay, was not going to let his daughter end up forgotten like the others. He knew she didn't run away and knew that she was not involved in sex work like the authorities tried to paint her and all of the other girls. So he started to rally and mobilize the families of the missing and murdered girls, fighting for justice in any way they could. And when they did, the news went crazy. Realizing that the spotlight was now on Alto Hospicio, Julio put a pause on his murders for about nine months. And during those months, a bag of clothing belonging to Viviana was found in a local dump. With each passing day, friends and families of the missing girls combed through the landfill and found bits and pieces of their belongings. Belongings that they would have likely kept if they had truly run away like the police wanted the world to believe. Julio was unable to completely stop his rampage And on April 17th, 2001, he intercepted a 16-year-old girl identified as Maritza, threatened her with a knife like the others, raped her like the others, but remarkably chose not to kill her. She escaped and returned home where her family rushed her to the hospital and samples of his semen were immediately taken. On October 4th, 2001, Julio Perez Silva made his final brutal attack when he took Barbara Nunez off the streets and for whatever reason, admitted to being the serial killer as soon as she got in his car. He bludgeoned her with a stone and thinking she was dead, he abandoned her like he did all of his other victims. What he didn't know was that Barbara, knowing how much danger she was in, faked her death and was able to survive and report her attack. He was arrested on the same day and without any remorse, confessed to the murders and rapes. Despite his neighbor's defense, claiming he couldn't possibly be involved in such awful crimes, his DNA was matched to that taken from Maritza, and she was able to identify him through his voice. In total, there were 14 victims attributed to Julio Silva, 14 women and girls who may have never gotten their justice if it weren't for their friends and family and the friends and family of their fellow victims. After his arrest, Julio gave enough information for police to find his victims' bodies, offering some closure to the families that they brushed under the rug for so long. On February 26, 2004, 40-year-old Julio Perez was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for the murders of 11 children and three adults, as well as the attempted murder of two. With his sentence came an apology from the Chilean government to the families of the victims. He remains incarcerated in a high-security prison despite an attempt to take his own life on January 19, 2005. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on July 16th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.